Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. morning connect if we haven't had a chance to meet yet my name is chris get to serve on the team here and it truly is a privilege now before we get into the message i want to take a second to share with you a little bit about something i'm really excited about for this coming month you see this time of year our society is all about giving right i don't know about you my inbox was flooded with emails i didn't know i was even subscribed to on tuesday for hashtag giving tuesday anyone else a lot of emails yeah a bunch gotta be honest i didn't look at all of them but it reminded me of the kind of the spirit of this season. And as our society is focusing on giving just this time of year, uh, we're as a church gonna focus on our heart in giving. So we're gonna be talking about something for the next four weeks, not during the message, but during the generosity moment like this or other times called joyful giving, because we truly believe that God doesn't need our money, but he wants our hearts. And giving is an invitation of God for us to demonstrate that he has our hearts by the way we steward our money. And when we, when we give, it's a demonstration of trust, of surrender in him. Now, even in saying some of these things, I feel a bit like the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. It's actually the second letter he wrote to this church. And in that, he said this. He said, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And the reason I feel like the Apostle Paul is because like, I know many of you, and I know that you're generous people. You're incredibly generous, and your generosity is making an impact. One of my favorite stories from this past year was the story of what God's been doing in Gavin's life. Now, many of you know Gavin, but if you don't know Gavin, just a little bit of his story. Back in February, he started coming to Connect, and he wanted us, he approached me on the first Sunday or, or second Sunday, and he, he wanted us as a church to go join him in a protest that he was going to be a part of. And we just very respectfully said, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of our church and, and you know, join us on Sundays and be, you know, all the things. But that doesn't really align with our beliefs and our values, so we're not going to participate in the protest, but you are always welcome here. Well, Gavin felt welcomed, so he started to come regularly on Sundays. And then he started to regularly read his Bible, and then he started to regularly serve, and he would talk with those he was serving with on the setup team about what he was reading in his Bible. And long story short, in June, Gavin declared Jesus as Lord. And we got to baptize him right here on the stage. It was an incredible day. What's so cool is that even though Gavin's been following Jesus for a few months now, and it hasn't always been easy, Gavin right now is figuring out what he wants to do next. You see, he's taking some kind of a gap year between high school and whatever's next. And he's feeling this urge to go to Bible college and pursue pastoral ministry. Now, if you know Gavin, you know that's like an only Jesus kind of story. And that's the kind of thing that we get to be a part of when we give back to God through his church. You see, I know you are generous people, and I know that your generosity is making impact. Now, there are those of you here, I just haven't had the the privilege to meet yet, so I don't really know if you're a generous person or not, but I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I assume that you want to be generous people, because I have never met somebody who says, you know what, I just want to be stingy. 
Like, that's what I'm shooting for in life. My favorite Christmas character is Scrooge. Have you ever heard someone say that? I haven't. No, we want to be generous, right? So in this season where we're going to be hearing about giving from all the different angles, I want this verse to be an encouragement to us. Paul wrote this as well in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So let's, let's not just be generous people. Let's be cheerfully generous, joyfully generous. And what does joyful giving look like? Well, it looks like a few different things. And in the coming weeks, we'll kind of do a little bit of a deeper dive into each one of these. But real quick, high level, what we see in the rest of 2 Corinthians 9 is that joyful giving is thankful giving. It actually helps supply for the needs of God's church. Joyful giving is sacrificial giving. It overflows and it impacts those in need. And joyful giving is hopeful giving. It actually inspires praise in others. That's what our, our joyful giving should do. So over, over the next month or so, you're going to hear us talking about this. And we have a goal that we're praying for, that we want to see God move, because there are some immediate needs that we have as a church family. And we've got all kinds of vision for, for what we'd love to see God do in the year ahead. And to, to kind of get a running head start into 2023, we'd love to see God provide $50,000 of any money that's given over the next month, we'd love to see that come in, and then we'd love to see it go back out and, and impact more lives, lives like Gavin's. Now, here's the ask for you today. Would you just pray? Like, would you pray that you, that we as a church, would be characterized by joyful giving? That, that God would have our heart, because more than our money, He wants our heart. So let's just pray that he would do something in our heart, that we would grow in our relationship with him, and that it would be a joyful expression when we give, whether it's we give gifts, whether it's we give financially to support Connect or some other ministry or nonprofit, may it be joyful because God loves a cheerful giver. All right. If you want to give uh, anytime, you can do it, Box in the Hall app, website, all the normal ways. But if you're new with us and you're like, man, my first impression is he gets up here and he talks about money. Okay, let me try to redeem myself for one second. Here's what we'd like to do for you, okay? We'd actually like to give on your behalf. We're not asking anything from you right now that is not our heart. In fact, it never is. Like we want something for you, but right now here's what we would like. We'd love to get to know you and we'd love to make a $10 donation on your behalf. So on your Connect card, these are in the buckets on your row. You can also do it through the app. If you check new to Connect, We'll send you an email this week, and you can select one of our local nonprofit partners that you want your donation to go to. Again, we're giving $10 on your behalf just because we love you and we love our community and we want God's love to go forth. So with that, can I just pray for the whole season of giving that we're in, and then we'll jump into the message. Lord, thank you uh, for who you are. Thank you that you went first, that you gave your one and only son, and Thank you that you invite us to give as a demonstration of our trust and our surrender to you. Would you work in our hearts, whether we've never given or whether we've been giving uh, faithfully for a long time, would you just work in our hearts and would we be more cheerful, more joyful in our giving? And as we give with that heart posture, would you be glorified? And Father, as we now prepare to open your word, would you speak to us? Would we know you more? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So for the last 2,000 years, 
uh, the church is gathered, and it's gathered around a couple of different things. For some, it's uh, theology. For others, it's methodology. People gather for different reasons. You know, if theology is the reason you gather, maybe the stand of that church is, you know, we believe in predestination, or we believe in speaking in tongues. We believe women can be pastors. Whatever the thing is, you can pick your issue, any issue, and you can find a church that believes what you believe on said issue. You can also find a church that is staunchly against whatever that belief is. And for some time now, you know, churches have gathered this way around what they believe on, on theological distinctives. Even though like the minute, min, most minute detail, churches will like rally around that thing. So churches gather because of what they believe Theologically, other churches will gather because they like to do church the same way. Their methodology is really important to them. They think, oh, house churches are the most biblical, so we do it that way. Or attractional churches, those are the most effective, so we express the church this way. Or missional churches, man, that's going to have the biggest impact. Whatever the thing is, big church, small church, people gather with others who like to do church the way they like to do church. Now, we've been doing this for a couple thousand years, gathering with others based on our theology or our methodology. So let's just see, like, how is it going? It's worthy just to pause for a second and say, how's it going? In uh, Francis Chan's most recent book, he writes this. He says, we are currently the most divided faith group on earth, and there isn't a close second. If you think I'm exaggerating, name another religion with more than two or three factions. We have thousands of denominations and ministries, each believing their theology or methodology is superior. So we're a bit divided. Like, what's the big deal? I want to make a case that it's a real big deal. Because Jesus prayed for the opposite. Jesus commanded the opposite. Jesus died for the opposite. So what did Jesus want? What did he want? Well, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17. If you need a Bible, we've got some free ones available in the back. You can also follow along in the app. We've been going through the Gospel of John. We're nearing the end of the Gospel of John because we've been trying to answer this important yet controversial question, who is Jesus? And what we've seen throughout this series and really through the Gospel of John is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Son of God. And if we believe in Jesus, we can have life in his name. We can experience a relationship with God all because of Jesus. We see this from the signs he performed. We see this from the claims that he made. And we're about to see that in the weeks ahead through his death and resurrection. This is Jesus. And Jesus had some things that he really wanted to characterize his disciples in his absence. And as he's seeing that his, his time with them is sunsetting, he spent some time praying with them before going to the cross. And we're going to take a look at that prayer today. So we're going to start in John 17, verses 1 through 5. John writes this, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
So before we can answer the question, what did Jesus want? Why he wanted it is very clear. It's God's glory. Like for Jesus, it's all about God's glory. He, the son of God, gave up the right to be worshiped as God for a time. Became man in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man, that's Jesus. But Jesus didn't stop there. He then lived a very sacrificial life, which ended in a very sacrificial death. And then we know that he victoriously rose from the grave and he's ascended back to the Father. To, and, and now he is back in his glory. We see this actually in Philippians 2. You see, the early church had this hymn that really captured what they believed. And Paul recorded it in Philippians 2. I don't read it for you. This is Philippians 2, 6 through uh, 11. He says this, who, this is talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a certain servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Like, this is what we believe, because this is the gospel. You see, as a global church, we may disagree on some other things, but can we agree on this? Can we agree that Jesus is the Son of God? that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, and that he's coming again? Because this is the foundation of our faith. Can we agree on that? Can we unite around that? Uh, Jesus, uh, again, he prayed this in John 17. We, we see it come to uh, fruition in, in Philippians 2, where he's, I'm glorifying you, Father. Father, glorify me. And then we see that come about in Philippians 2. It's all about God's glory. Now, if God's glory is why Jesus did what he did, then his glory should be why we do what we do as Jesus followers. If we go back to John 17, now in verses 6 through 19, it's a bit of a longer section, but I want to read it in its entirety because this is what Jesus prayed for his followers, okay? After talking about the, the glory that he's going to give the Father and the Father's going to give him, Jesus excuse me, Jesus said this, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled." continues. And I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. They, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. It's a bit of a longer section, but here are a couple of themes that stand out to me that I want to bring to our attention. The first is this. Jesus prayed for protection. He did not pray that God would remove his, you know, his followers from the world. He actually pray, prayed that God would protect his followers as they continue to live in the world. Because there's a purpose for us here. He's not done with us in this context yet. So he prays for protection. Second, Jesus prayed for unity. He said it this way, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is one with the Father. I introduced the idea last week, uh, but it's, a, it's another core belief that we hold as Christians. The idea of the Trinity, God is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinity, tri-unity. They are distinct and yet they're totally united, just one. And Jesus' prayer is that his followers will be united as the Godhead is united. Sometimes we get uh, unity confused with uniformity. Uniformity is basically the idea of uh, something or, or someone, everything just kind of conforms and it all looks the exact same. That's uniformity. Unity is different. Unity has, has mutual submission. Unity is seeking the same thing, though the parts are distinct. That's what unity is. You see, mission is critical to unity. And where there's no mission, there's no unity. I mean, just look at our, uh, our government, look at our families, look at our businesses, even churches, where there is a lack of mission, there's a lack of unity. Because the distinct parts aren't seeking the same thing. That's unity. And the church has fallen into this over the last couple thousand years. As mission has drifted, the main thing is no longer the main thing. Instead, we're majoring in the minors. We're focusing on all these things that are important. They're just not the most important. And what that's done is it's caused us as a church to be known, not for being united, but for being divided. Now, Jesus knew that all this was going to be hard. He knew that unity was going to be hard. So the third thing he prayed was for sanctification. He said it this way, sanctify them by truth your word is truth. Okay, what does sanctification mean or sanctify? It's not a word we use often. It means to set apart or to make holy. It, as followers of Jesus, we aren't of the world. Jesus prayed that, like we are distinct from it. We shouldn't blend in with the world. Paul would later write that we shouldn't conform to the pattern of the world. Instead, we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're set apart. We're different. And we shouldn't look like the world looks. From, from the moment we repent and we receive Jesus, we declare, Jesus, you are Lord. I, I want to follow you with my life. From that moment on until we're with Jesus in the fullness of his glory, we're in this process, this sanctification process. It's a journey of transformation. And it takes a, a lot of time, a ton of time, more time than any of us would have liked. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the work in us, changing us from the inside out. We start to sin less, and instead we're characterized by the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things like this. Uh, We no longer pursue what the world pursues. Instead, we pursue what Jesus pursued. Our mission changes. And when we have his mission, we can be united. Kind of leads us into the fourth, fourth thing that Jesus prayed. And the fourth thing is this. Jesus prayed for sending. He said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, as the the Father sent the Son to glorify Him and to make Him known, here we see that Jesus is about to pass that baton. You see, He ran His race, and He's about to pass that baton to His followers. And now they're responsible to run the race, to carry the mission of Jesus. Jesus prayed this for His original followers, and He prayed it for us today as well. This is crazy. Jesus actually prayed for you. He prayed for me. And here's what he prayed. Verse 20 now. My prayer is not for them alone, referring to those around the table with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The baton's going to be passed to them, people like us. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Sounds a lot like the prayer Jesus prayed for those around the table with him that night. Because the same is true. Jesus wants us to be united His prayer is for unity, and it's actually our unity and by our unity that the world would know that we're with Jesus and that God is worth worshiping and Jesus is worth following. Two times in this passage, we see that the world's going to know Jesus by our unity. Why would that be? I think it's because we represent a united God. And many people's first impression of God is their first impression of the people of God. Like, think about that for a moment. Most people's first impression of God is their first impression of us. So what kind of first impression are we making? You only get to make one first impression. What's the first impression that we're making as a big C church, a global church? Uh, Chuck Mingo is a pastor. He's founder of Living Undivided, and he says it so well. He says, we can't preach a united gospel as a divided church. In a divided world, a divided church just gets lost in the shuffle. It's like the ultimate ploy of the enemy. But in a divided world, a united church stands out. It's distinct. It's different. It points to, to one who is not of the world, but one who came to save the world. In our dark and divided world, our unity spotlights Jesus. That's what this is all about. So what unites us? Well, let's just take a moment. Let's build a list of things that unite us. We're we're real good at pointing fingers and saying, I'm different because of X, Y, or Z. What unites us? What can we rally with other believers around? 
First thing is this, our worship of God. God is glorious. He is three in one. He's the creator and the sustainer of the cosmos. He is overall. He is in all. God is all present, all powerful, all knowing. He is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is rich in love. He is love. That's our God. And may our, our glorification of him, our worship of him, be something that galvanizes us together. May we rally around this. Because Jesus spent his life glorifying the Father, making the Father known. And now he sent us to go and do the same. In the church, we, when we think of worship, we think of like what we just did. We think of singing songs together on a Sunday. And that is worship. I love that kind of worship. But that's not the only way we worship. When we open our Bible and we read, that's worship. When we pray with one another, that's worship. When we serve those in need, that's worship. When we share Jesus, that's a form of worship. And we need to be characterized by our worship because our worship of God is actually one of the things that unites us. And the second thing that unites us is actually God's love for us. When praying for our unity, Jesus said, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. See, God expressed his love in the greatest way he possibly could. John 3, 16 famously says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you see, we might disagree on predestination, on speaking in tongues, on women in ministry. We might disagree on some of these things. But can we agree on who loves us? Can we link arms with others who are also loved by God and who are, who are seeking to live as the people of God? Because his love for us shouldn't stop with us. It should overflow from us. It should change the way we live. Our theme verse for the year says, we love because he first loved us. It's 1 John 4.19. The reason we love isn't because we deem that person lovable. We love because God first loved us. And it's out of that love that we now look to love others. So our worship unites us. God's love for us unites us. And third, God's mission for us. As the Father sent the Son to glorify him and make him known, Jesus sent his followers, right? Now they're running the race. But it didn't stop with them. They're supposed to pass that message on and others are going to believe. And that's happened. It's happened for a long time now. It's just kind of passed along the way. And eventually, it's now our turn. We have a leg of the race to run. But it shouldn't stop with us. We have a baton to pass to others as well. We get to, to carry out the mission of Jesus and then we get to invite others to do the same. They could be those younger than us, could be other churches around us, it could be sending people to other parts of the world. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that we're not supposed to just run, we're not, we're not at the finish line yet. When Jesus comes back, that's the finish line. We don't know the finish line until that day. And until that day comes, we gotta keep passing this baton to others so they can carry the mission of Jesus too. Now, let me illustrate what unity as a, as a big C church could look like, okay? And I'm going to illustrate it with us being the beneficiary as a church because, you see, Connect Church actually exists in large part because the big C church in South Denver had a, had a vision that was bigger than themselves. They took Jesus seriously and they were willing 
to say, you know what, we're going to seek unity rather than uniformity. Our name doesn't have to be attached every time the gospel goes forth. And, and here's what that has meant for us. Uh, we've had a bunch of churches support us in the area, okay? We've had them around the country. Here are the ones in the area. Mountain View Christian Church, Valley View Christian Church, Southeast Christian Church. All of these are independent Christian churches. Journey Church is a free Methodist church. Mission Hills Church is a Baptist church. Brave Church from the Harvest Bible Chapel Movement. Front Range Church from the Ark Movement. All of these churches, they might not agree on all like the distinctives of things. They have different views on women in ministry, different views of church governance. But you know what they all have in common? They really love God and they want others to know Him too. And they know Jesus is the way. They, they agree on the gospel. And because they agree on the gospel, they are willing to see the gospel go forth even when their name wasn't directly attached to it. And many of them have supported us financially. One of them has given us office space. Several of the lead pastors have mentored and coached me. Uh, we store our trailer at one. We have representatives like executive pastors and lead pastors from other churches on our board right now, our management team, while we raise up local elders. These churches have surrounded us and we get to do what we do because they had a vision bigger than themselves. I want to be like them. I want to be a church that's more about unity than uniformity. Because it's by our unity that the world will know we are followers of Jesus and they might just want to follow him too. They might just want to follow him too. But as we, as we run our leg of the race, there's some things that are required of us. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. And it's not going to look like the world. The first thing it's going to require of us is that we pray first, that we pray for unity for the church. When was the last time you prayed for unity for the Big C Church? I don't pray for it nearly as often as I should, but I want to pray for it more. We've also got to love everyone, whether they think like us, whether they look like us, or they don't. We've got to love them because Jesus loves them, and he wants to express his love through us to them. We've also got to serve humbly. We've got to link arms with other churches so that those in need can be served, so that the kingdom of God goes forth. I love what we've done in, in years past where we've served alongside Journey Church to offer a Christmas store to families in need. We've done that in years past. I wonder, what can we do going forward? How do we link arms with other churches for the sake of the mission going forth? If you got an idea, like, I'm all ears. Our staff is all, all ears. We would love to hear it, and then we'd love to talk about how do we actually go seek that together. We've got to multiply for impact, making disciples who make disciples, raising up other group leaders so that we can start new community groups and more people can get connected. We gotta raise up church planners and send them out so that the gospel can go forth in new communities. We gotta multiply. And of course, we've gotta unite together. Like as a local church, we've gotta be able to put aside our differences, recognize the value of them, and then seek something together, seek something greater together. Living in, in mutual submission to one another. Now, what does this mean That's with our church? What does uniting together with other churches look like? Here's one that you probably haven't heard, but you've all, if you've been a Christian for any time, you've been a part of this conversation, okay? We're not going to talk bad about other churches. They're not 
the competition. They're our teammates. They are our teammates. We have one goal, people knowing Jesus. And they are our teammates. But what is so tempting is we put down another church or pastor or whatever as if like that makes us feel better or it makes us leaving that church better. Here's the deal. We're all on the same team. They're not the competition. And we're going we're gonna to value others and recognize that the churches I listed and many more here in the South Denver area, Front Range, like people can connect with Jesus there. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. But together, we can point people to Jesus. We don't have to be uniform to be unified. Jesus prayed for, he commanded, and he died for the fact that we would be united. And that by our unity as a, as a big church, big C church, when I say that, like global church, not this local expression, like when, when his people are united, others are going to know him. Jesus wanted unity, but what we've settled for is uniformity around what we believe or how we do church. And what this has actually done is it's created a very confusing witness for people. Like, think about it. You got a non-Christian neighbor, and when they think of the church, they think of a bunch of different things, but one of the things that they recognize is there are a bunch of denominations, there's a bunch of expressions, and okay, there's some value in that, but what they see is they see division. That's what they see. They see infighting. They're like, His, God's people can't even get along. Why would I want to follow him? It's a very confusing witness. And I'm personally convinced that we're not taking ground for the kingdom like Jesus would have liked because we're too concerned with infighting with our own. Not just us in this room, but like the church in our country. And I wonder what it would look like if we focused more on being united and less on being uniform in what, what God would do. So what unites us? Well, our worship of God unites us. So we're going to give him the glory he deserves. We're going to re recognize that he loves us. He loves us unconditionally. So we're going to overflow unconditional love to others. We're going to unite together for the sake of the gospel so that one more person can know Jesus. One more person in the front range can know Jesus. Until everyone hears and everyone has an opportunity to connect, we will not stop. We will link arms with anyone who, who agrees fundamentally on, on who God is and what it looks like to connect with him through Jesus. For far too long, the church has been known by what it's against. We are going to be known by what we're for. Because in our dark and divided world, our unity spotlights Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, I echo the prayer that we have looked at and dissected today. Would we be united? Would you purify my heart? Would you purify our hearts? Would you sanctify us by truth? Your word is truth. And would we be a church that looks for opportunities to be on the same team, to pass the ball to, to receive the ball from, other churches in our area so that together we can see you transform our region by the power of the gospel. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.